that I have seen and encountered. That is what this week's episode of Paranormally Speaking will be all about. I'll be sharing stories and retellings of things that I myself have witnessed, I myself have encountered, and run into in regards to haunted locations, strange UFO phenomenon, crop formations. I'll start it off with our time at the Emmett House in Waverly, Ohio. The Emmett House was one of the oldest properties in the Ohio Valley that had the Erie Canal running through it. Well, not directly through the structure itself, but it was built off to the side of where the Erie Canal ran through, which is now known as 23 North and South uh, Primary Highway through the North and Southern Ohio into Kentucky region. That house uh, was built by Old Man Emmett. It was a structure that he had owned and was used for banquets, gatherings, restaurant, hotel, everything you could imagine for the days of the canal. And even beyond that point, when the roads were put down. And there were even rumors of going through the upstairs area, smelling the phantom remnants of his cigar smoke or his pipe, hearing bustling footsteps going up and downstairs when no one was physically there. Hearing voices, seeing shadows, movement. A woman dressed in a black dress who would stand where the hostesses stand and guide you to your seat. She'd stand off in the distance and just observe. Many people saw her and thought she was just a part of the staff. A lot of the staff never saw her, nor did they know that she was standing there observing. There were even times where people would be approached by this woman in black and she would take their coats and hide them somewhere. It was kind of like a game for her. I wrote a story about that in Haunted Holidays. You should check it out. The one time that my wife and I, during the daytime, were there, it was a few years before the massive fire that destroyed the structure that we once knew as the Emmett House. It's now a vacant parking lot used by a local Ford dealership in that area. We were walking through the basement, and the basement has been known to house strange and angry spirits of sorts, as retold by people who worked there and people who stayed there, and those who came to, I guess, wash away the spirits or the entities with either it be prayer, burning of sage, and they kind of opened a parallel in that basement by having so many different faiths come through and conduct these ceremonies or these rituals to rid the spirits. In fact, I believe that it opened the door for more to come in. And that's what I encountered when we were in the basement, walking down the stairs and to one of the main areas where the walls were open. There was a ventriloquist dummy in that hole sort of peering out at you, which startled my wife immediately. Uh, We had a good laugh about that and then continued on our daytime investigation, not expecting a whole lot to happen during the daytime, but I've been wrong before. This was one of those times. We're going deeper and deeper into the basement, into an area where it had been walled off for decades. And they decided to tear that brick out and use a deeper area for more storage. 
Well, they woke something up when they did that because more and more activity was occurring a week later after they removed those bricks that sealed off that tunnel system. And I'm walking further and further into that. And they had already started storing things in there. Uh, Cardboard boxes that were holding holiday decorations or for like extra cups, uh, extra plates. And then to the left, there were paint cans that were stacked up. Stacked up like six on each. And it was all lined. It was lined up a, a good 10 feet like that. Just extra paint cans. And I'm going further and further into this tunnel. And my light is only allowing me to see so far. And my wife is a little skittish at this point. I was getting that feeling, but I was just burying it deep inside because I wanted to know what was beyond that, what was giving off this reading that I had both internally and with the equipment we use to take readings like this. So we go further and further and I stop. And as I do, the boxes to the right of me fly from the side of the wall and slam into the paint cans. And the paint cans that didn't fall over were picked up and thrown to the right of me and hit the wall where the boxes were stacked and created a huge mess. I backed away. I looked at my wife and said, okay, we're done here. We immediately exited the tunnel system and went back upstairs and never went back down there again. I had the worst feeling of my life in that basement. Felt like something was right on my shoulder, breathing on my neck, staring down on me as a means of warning and throwing the box and the cans to say, stop, don't go any further or you will be in danger. Don't know if it was my guardian angel stopping me or just my own intuition, but I didn't go any further. That winter is when the Emmett House burned to the ground. And there have been several pictures taken of the fire, and you can see figures of something or someone up in the second floor, peering out the windows, standing along the hall, and also figures of something standing outside of the building, looking up, that's semi-transparent, semi-solid. Can't really make out the face, but you know it's a figure of some sort. That is what I will be discussing on this episode of Paranormally Speaking. More stories like that of things that I encountered while on my investigations. Please hold for an important message from one of our sponsors. Unparalleled Insider Access. Get it all. Introducing the Sirius XM Platinum VIP Plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer detail supply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. Well, there's, of course, uh, the Buxton Inn. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of that. And where's that exactly? Uh, that is in Granville. Okay, Granville. Uh, right. That's I think it's, what, like 40 minutes from here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 40 minutes east. 
that is a really interesting location. Uh, I was invited to like a. Uh, my wife and I were invited. She's like the scully to my molder. Oh, okay, so you guys do this together. All yeah, right. So do. Randy and I know about that. We do. Uh, she kind of ropes me in and keeps me from chasing the moon and werewolves. <laughs> and we were invited to like this murder mystery type dinner, get to know each all the X-Files. Nice. And we... <laughs> We were invited as, like, the guests of honor. They wanted me to tell some stories and read some excerpts from my book. Sure. And a lot of the people that were a part of it, it was like the movie Dinner for Schmucks. It was it was pretty funny. Oh, look at this place. This is yeah. nice. Yeah, it was, it was quite, yeah, it is a very nice location. And the bar downstairs is like a dungeon. Mm. And I wonder if they used to keep people during the Renaissance era in that location. But since this land was not um, anything beyond uh, the New World before the... Renaissance era, I doubt that that was ever a, a dungeon of torture, but it, it does look pretty creepy, and in fact, a lot of weird things happen in that bar. Glasses are known to fly across the room. A lot of girls, when they go to change uh, certain containers for the drinks and whatnot, or change the keg, uh, they'll feel someone push or grab on them. Uh, I, myself, did not experience anything in the bar. I did get a sense of something moving around that wasn't physical, but what I experienced more was in the ballroom area where they have a lot of wedding receptions and uh, graduation dinners. Sure. There is said to be a ghost cat that runs around. Oh, ghost cat. Ghost cat. Do you have to do ghost litter? Ghost litter, yes. (laughs) Ghost poops. Yeah, ghost poops. So, <laughs> what if it's like the worst part of a ghost cat? It still smelled like a cat, and you're like, I don't even get to see this son of a bitch. Like, what? <laughs> it's just, I smell it. It's just a cat. Yeah. So uh, you kind of want to set a can of nine lives out for it to see what happens. But we're sitting in, in one of the tables, and I notice uh, one of the table drapes that goes over the tabletop cloths. It's brushing almost like someone's rubbing their foot against it. And I pick it up to look under to see who's doing that because it's just my wife and I sitting here at this table. And I, I kid you not, I kit, kitten you not, this, this cat uh, was under the table and all the doors were closed. No one could get in or out at this point. And it's just us, just physical people. And this cat, this solid white cat, is under the table. It hisses at me just like that sound and then takes off. But it takes off to where? Because as soon as it disappears yeah. from our sight, it's just, it's, it's so gone. Weird. It was a cat. On Wednesday, October 8th, 2003, I took another chance at investigating another crop formation in Peebles, Ohio. My first attempt fell short of any research at all due to a failing battery and the fact that I was kindly escorted off the property by three men who claimed to be off-duty officers watching for acts of vandalism. During my second attempt, I brought my camcorder again, this time with a backup battery. When I arrived near the property, I pulled into the parking lot of the Serpent Mound Park This is directly across from the formation. There wasn't a soul for miles, no vehicles of any type, no wind. The sky was clear that day, and there was no visible wildlife. I powered up my camcorder as I walked into the field. The second that I set foot within the formation, my camera went black. I began to feel the same static feeling and the ache in my jaw as I did during my visit to the formation in Bainbridge, Ohio. I was almost knocked to the ground by a powerful gust of wind. As it began to get colder, a voice shot out from behind me saying, You're going to need to come out of there now, please. I turned around with whip action to see a very tall, very pale man. He was well built, wearing a state trooper uniform, without an ID badge, a hat, or a gun. He was wearing dark sunglasses, 
However, he just appeared out of thin air. There were no vehicles other than my own anywhere near either of us. It was almost as if he popped up out of the ground, fell from the sky, or teleported from an alternate dimension. I, I'm sorry, I wasn't aware that this was still a no-trespassing zone, I said to the officer. He replied, Turn off the camera. Come away from the field and get in your car, please. I was shocked that he was so calm and collected about the whole ordeal. Am I breaking any laws by being here? I'm just researching the area. Turn off the camera, get in your car, and go home. I will not report this if you comply, the officer replied. Finally, I walked out of the field and turned off my camcorder, as if it were really doing me any good with two failing batteries. I walked past the supposed officer, and all he did was stand in the same position that he had been standing in the entire time. His arms were folded, and his head turned to follow me as I walked by him. It was like walking past the Terminator. I got in my car and pulled out of the parking lot. There were still no other vehicles in sight. There was no way that he would have walked all the way from the police station. I drove past him and watched his movements in my rearview mirror. He turned around and walked directly into the field, then vanished into knee-high crops. I panicked. Where in the world could he have gone? I came to a screeching halt, and then I backed up my car to the same spot where he had been standing. Instantly on that very spot, my car died, and then it came back on after I attempted to start it. My digital meter display was showing all ease, no numbers. All of my radio stations had been reset, and my camera was working again. This time it displayed full power. My wristwatch was behind the time by five and a half minutes, and my cell phone was wiped clear. The man who was supposedly an officer was missing. There was no sign of him anywhere in that field. I took off without looking back. On the way home, I called the local police in the area and explained the entire event to their dispatcher. He listened and seemed very interested. He went on to tell me about an onslaught of calls that he had received about UFO sightings within the last 24 hours and people calling and claiming to see strange animals and other bizarre encounters in the area. He believed me and said that he knows for a fact that the area that I was in was not zoned off and I had every right to be there, seeing as how I had permission from the landowner. He knew that there would be no reason for one of his guys or a state trooper to be within that area at that time. He wondered if that guy might be some loon impersonating an officer. I'm left wondering if the individual that I encountered was not a being of this realm but possibly from another realm entirely. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. I'll share personal accounts, my research, and secondhand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. I remember a few years ago a walkthrough that I conducted during the daytime 
at a local property in my hometown of Chillicothe, Ohio, Ohio's first capital. It was before the second annual Chillicothe Ghost Walk. This was in 2008, and it was in the historic downtown district of Chillicothe, Ohio, where the Erie Canal used to go through, which is now known as Water Street, and the upstairs now apartment area of this property, which beneath it was at that time Lloyd's Sweet Shop. And the upstairs during the days of the canal was a brothel. And at another time, it was uh, like group housing. But at this time, I'm doing a daytime walkthrough, and I brought my son with me, who was fastly approaching the age of two. He was able to walk around and had a bag of candy that I had acquired from Lloyd's Sweet Shop before making our way up there. Yes, I take my children on research and walkthroughs and investigations sometimes. And accompanying us on this walkthrough was one of the founding members of the Women's League of Voters of Ross County, Ohio. They were the ones that were promoting and bankrolling this downtown ghost walk. And they chose me as the primary expert on all things paranormal in preparation for the ghost walk. So they had me walk with uh, one of their members upstairs to what at one time was a brothel. And as I'm walking around, this the stairwell that leads up to the top floor is extremely narrow. Uh, I'm assuming because at that time there were no trans fats in food or hormones, growth hormones in our food. So people were considerably smaller back then on average. And now we have an obesity problem in the United States, so... It's going to be a bit more difficult for some people to make their way up this stairwell. But fortunately, during the ghost walk, when it happened a few weeks later, people of all shapes and sizes were able to scale those stairs, make it in, and experience the paranormal that was in this property firsthand. Now, as I reach the top of the stairs, I'm holding my son, and he's clenching his brown bag of candy. Now, some of this candy, you got your basic chocolate coins wrapped in the foil. You have some of your import chocolates and various other gadgetry like novelty items. You know, because I like to splurge on my kids. So this was way before Bella was born, too. She came along two years later. So as I'm walking around with him, I put him down to walk next to me, holding his tiny hand. And in his other hand, he's holding that same bag. And I'm just conversing back and forth with this member of the Women's League of Voters. And before she even tells me anything about the property, I immediately get a sense of female energy, not just from her, but overall strong female energy in this property in the upstairs. And I could smell old world cooking taking place or having had taken place at one point in time in this area. Now, you know, that's all old 19th century or 20th century, um, late 19th century wallboard, of course, and food and other various aromas like pipe smoke or cigar smoke will bake into the wallboard. And 
due to changes in atmospheric climate change or whatever, those aromas will expel from the wallboard, almost as if the board, the wall itself is breathing. So you get a whiff of that and you're immediately taken back to another time. So I could smell like old lard and old fried food and various other types of aromas, pipe smoke, um, old world perfumes. It just sort of lingered in the upstairs of this property. And as I'm turning a corner and walking past one of the rooms, because there's a room to the left, room to the right, and three rooms ahead. Now, this upstairs area goes on and on and on. It's all interconnected to the neighboring properties and the properties in the back. This is one city block here that is a part of the historical downtown district. And I go from one room to another, and I keep feeling like something's running from me. Like I've discovered it, and it knows that I feel it, that I notice it, and it moves from room to room. Luke immediately starts reacting. That's my son. As I'm holding him over my shoulder, because I pick him up before we walk further back, because it's a bit darker there, and I wasn't sure of the flooring, if it was strong enough to support us. So I have him over my shoulder, and he starts giggling and reaching out to something behind me. And I turn, I don't turn my full body, I just turn my head and look out of the corner of my eye. And he has his hand over both of his eyes, the only hand that's not clenching the bag of chocolates. And then he giggles and moves his hands away from his eyes and then back over the eyes. He was playing peekaboo with something behind me that I could not physically see, but I could metaphysically feel the energy of what he saw with his own eyes. And this went on for about five minutes. And we go further back. I take a left. A few more rooms here and there. And this thing continues to follow us. So at this point, when we reach the main foyer area of the upstairs, beyond all the rooms, beyond the kitchen, beyond the one bathroom that was up there for all of these rooms, I sit him down on a folding table that's up there. And he turns and faces the other way while I'm having a conversation with the representative from the Women's League of Voters about the plans for the ghost walk, where I'm going to be sitting, where they're going to set up my table. Because I would, of course, at this point in time, be selling the first book I ever had published. At, at that point in time, I had only had one book out. This was in 2008. I was a new author, a relatively unknown regionally or statewide or even beyond that i was just on the lips and minds of a few people no big deal and this was way before my podcast or youtube channel or appearances and documentaries and working with independent film companies and paranormal films and so forth before my imdb page it was a humble beginning and when I sit Luke on this table, he starts blabbing away and conversing with something that's in the corner that I can feel is there, but I don't see it. It's not revealing itself to me. He still sees it. And he opens up his bag, reaches his hand in, and holds out one of the foil-wrapped chocolates and keeps saying, here, here, here. And he puts his hand down and for like 
five seconds, that freaking foil-wrapped chocolate sort of hovers there as he puts his hand down. And then it just drops on the table. And he takes out a little toy car that was in the bag that I also acquired from the novelty section of this chocolate shop for him. And he rolls it on the table and it stops. Rolls it a little way and it stops right at the edge. And both the representative for the Women's League of Voters and myself are watching this happen. And the car stops, turns around like someone placed their thumb and index finger on it and twisted it around and pushed it right back towards him. He giggled with delight. It was a great time for him. But it was a little unsettling because I couldn't see the damn thing. But he was fully interacting with some metaphysical apparition. And, you know, I've told him this story to this day. In fact, I wrote about the encounter in my second book, which is titled Haunted Chillicothe, all about the history and mystery of this paranormal hotspot that I live in. My first book was titled Paranormal Chronicles, Tales of Humor, Horror, and the Absolutely Strange. And that was a first attempt to essentially dip my toe in the water of the literary world to see where it would take me. Because I just wanted to share stories that my grandmother had relayed to me of her experiences and encounters and people around her, what they saw and heard and witnessed. And my great aunt and my uncles who served in uh, the Vietnam War and what they saw overseas and witnessed paranormal encounters, weird beasts of the jungle, uh, UFO sightings, ghosts, name it. That's what I wrote about in the first book. My own personal experiences and that's why this story I just shared with you made it to my second book because it truly was a powerful experience involving a child and the paranormal. Please hold for an important word from our sponsor. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Radio, welcome back to the program. It's Jason and JV. Phone number is 844-687-7669 if you want to join our discussion. Our guest this hour of the program is Neil Parks. Neil's a paranormal researcher and investigator and an author. He's written several books. And uh, Neil, the books, uh, the most recent book is Haunted Enough, Terrifying Tales to Tell Your Friends. Um, most of your books uh, are collections of stories that you've gathered from various sources um, to share with folks. Uh, are they all paranormal? Or are they legends? What, what do the uh, stories make up? Well, the first three books I've written, the first one is Paranormal Chronicles, Tales of Humor, Horror, and the Absolutely Strange. And that one is a, a little bit of the stories my grandmother related to me, as well as a couple from a few aunts and uncles along the way, uh, a few people that have passed away, unfortunately. They are dedicated, uh, the book is dedicated to them and their memory. Uh, other stories in it are experiences of my own and uh, some investigations that I've been on that turned out not to be so paranormal and uh, had a funny twist at the end. So I had a little fun with that book just to see how it would go. Uh, you know, sort of dipping my uh, my toe in the water of literary 
literary world to see if people would take me seriously as an author. And the second book, Hunt in Chillicothe, is all about Chillicothe, Ohio, where I live. It's Ohio's first capital and is actually one of the most um, haunted locations in South Central Ohio. Uh, the book has done very well locally, and believe it or not, a lot of people that have heard of me have ordered that book as well, uh, along with my more uh, nationally known books, and have enjoyed reading it as well. Uh, the third book is Haunted Holidays, uh, which is a collection of short stories of strange and unusual paranormal happenings between Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. And I tied in a lot of um, legend and myth into that, as well as more stories geared towards spirituality and miracles, uh, sort of like blessings from angels and whatnot. And the most recent book that I've released, uh, which is Haunted Enough, uh, you'll notice there's a question mark at that title at the end of it. Uh, that was basically just a, uh, realizing that this is not my final book, Haunted Enough, question mark. Uh, there will be something following that, of course, but my current book I'm working on is an actual novel, not a compilation of short stories. It's going to be a full-on chapter-by-chapter story um, written from just my mind and trying to tie in things from each book that I've written already as well as things that I've yet to write into an actual story setting and a group of characters. Now, do you also go back and research some old, well-known haunted type cases and uh, see if you're able to figure out what truly happened in those locations as well? Or is it just mainly things you know, that in your area and, and stuff of that nature? Uh, you mean basically tackling a cold case myself to see if I can put it into it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, something like that I've not really tackled much of um, other than just taking stories and stories and legends from people like the Carnegie Library in Washington Courthouse. It's supposed to be a haunted library. And people that have worked there or people that have been there have relayed stories to me, and I basically came to um, an inconclusive conclusion in the end. I really couldn't put an end to it. It's just it's going to be a legend as long as that building stands. Uh, digging up any kind of uh, I guess, an attempt from another researcher or group where they could not come up with a conclusion. I've not really done any more or any better than anyone else uh, in that avenue. Okay. So with all, with all the investigations and uh, research and everything else you've done, what's the most unusual or the weirdest encounter that you've ever experienced? Oh, goodness. One of the weirdest would have to be a uh, an area in South... East Ohio. Um, it's near Salt Fork Lake. The, it was a group of guys that were um, setting up trail cams in the area, and something kept getting past their property line and getting into their chickens and into a few of their smaller um, livestock animals. And they came to me because of a mutual friend we had and they knew the type of research that I did and the stuff that I was posting on the internet before I had ever written a book. 
uh, people have been, a few select people have been following me online and they caught wind of me. Then they reached out to this mutual friend of ours who then contacted me and said they really wanted to talk to me about figuring out what is attacking their livestock because they set up trail cams and they want to set up a security system around their house that would allow lights to come on and the cameras to engage due to motion. And they bought this whole pack from Radio Shack. Now, granted, this was like the early 2000s. So that type of technology was relatively archaic compared to what we have now. But back then, you did, you felt as if it wasn't going to get any better anytime soon. So they had this whole pack from Radio Shack. I set it up for them. Motion sensors, uh, the lights would come on when someone was in the area that they had these marked and set up and the cameras were set up for night vision and uh, we basically waited. So in the end, the conclusion that I came to, it was coyotes that were getting in and doing this and the trail cams would show something big and hairy run past it to the right or to the left and that's all you saw on the trail cam was something big and hairy. But then when uh, you had the surveillance footage picking out these coyotes in action, tearing these chickens apart, I'm like, well, gentlemen, what you have here is a group of coyotes that are coming in and doing this damage. You know, there's no Sasquatch here doing this. There's no werewolf. I'm sorry. I don't uh, have here what you're looking for. So a couple of days go by, and I am... Um, getting ready for bed late one night and I get a phone call from a mutual friend and he says, you're not going to believe what was on the news down there. I said, what? The guys that we know, they went to the local media and said that you had video footage of a werewolf. So what they did was they turned around and tried to put a sensationalism spin on this and they provided the footage of the big hairy creature running back and forth past the trail cam but nothing really beyond that, nothing that we had from the actual footage of the coyotes in action tearing the chickens apart. So I contacted the media after we found out about this story and got my my own eyes on the uh, news segment that was on showing these guys talking about the werewolf creature they have in their backyard and that everyone should be on alert. Your children could be in danger. Your pets could be devoured. It was insane. So... I contacted the news, told them exactly what it was that was there, that I had the video footage of the coyotes in action, tearing the chickens apart, that no one in that area is in danger. These guys are just making that up for attention. And they had to retract the story, and these guys were like branded scam artists and so forth. And I got a phone call from the main guy that was living on that property. He was the one they called Ah. And he said, if we ever catch you in this area again, we're going to make sure no one ever finds you. So mm-hmm. I'm very selective about what I investigate now because of that. Well, and do you find that in most cases that you're able to debunk or figure out what's truly going on? It has nothing to do with the paranormal? I've been lucky in that aspect. Uh, there have been quite a few cases I've cracked where it's not anything more than just... Um, issues with vehicles driving by and reflecting off something in the house that casts what looks like a translucent light bouncing across the wall or interference with baby monitors. There's a lot of simple explanations to certain things when people get hypersensitive about it. 
And that's the thing. You do find that a lot of people, a lot of people are, they're not trying to be mischievous. They're, they just misunderstand what's, what's going on and you're able to help them out. But you do get those who try to be a little sneaky about it or who are living in hopes that the place is truly haunted or something really is going on. I mean, we've, we've even had guys, a guy build a speaker inside a wall trying to prove his house was haunted because he wanted to be on a show. So you do, you do get that and you need to look out for that. And, uh, you know, you see, you get the people who are attention seekers, but most of the time it's people just misunderstanding, correct? Correct. Uh, there was one case, uh, I'll make this short, one case where, I proved that something was a haunted pertaining to this woman's house. She had been saying for years it was, and she even had um, TV shows like the show Sighting, something similar to that. It was interested in doing a walkthrough in her house and have a, a professional psychic there to communicate with whatever she said was there. Well, I did. She was at one time living here in my hometown, and I did a walkthrough. I went through with my small group. I checked everything out. I had a historian with me, a few other people that were experts in the field that were not directly affiliated with my group. And there was absolutely nothing in this house. There were things she had set up to make it look and feel and sound as if something was going on. Uh, like she would talk about phantom odors all the time. And she had stuff set up in the vent ducts to blast during certain parts of the walkthrough, that aroma, and I pulled the vent, the, uh, the vent off the side of the wall and found these little potpourri sashes and stuff set up there. And she was humiliated and angry and then went to um, Amazon and completely blasted my book, Haunted Chillicothe and Haunted Holidays, as a means of revenge. Dave Grohl says that the Foo Fighters recorded their upcoming album, their 10th album in that neat, uh, in California. And it turns out the house is haunted. They can't even tell you about the house because a lady is trying to sell it. Huh. They said, we found out about the history of the house and I had to sign an effing non-disclosure agreement with the landlord because he's trying to sell it. So I can't give away what happened there, but they set up a baby monitor. Things did happen. They did How see cool things. How cool is that? Um, their guitars would be detuned between sessions. All their settings on their soundboard would go back to zero. Their tracks would go missing. Some tracks didn't record while theirs would be there instead i guess like weird mic open noises okay like the yeah, yeah, yeah mic would just open and noises would be there sure when they walked into the house dave said i knew the vibes were definitely off but the sound was effing on he said <laughs> the, stuff. the vibes were off but the sound yes. was on he said stuff That's started happening awesome. almost right away and they got increasingly weirded out and that wild? Yeah, who would not? I mean, like that's yeah, that's really weird. I Once mean, like, this... you're recording, you're recording like one of the coolest albums that you could record. What your your tenth one, and then right. all of a sudden you're surrounded by a bunch of ghosts. <laughs> I love it. Once they sell that house, I bet we'll get more details. Well, yeah, you want to know ahead of time though that that's the house, right? Yes. Oh my god, I, it's kind of cool actually. Some people. Like, look for haunted houses. I, that's what I think, too. I think like eventually Parks, they could probably get more out of that house because that would be the place. Neil Parks would love that. Foo Fighters recorded there. And it's haunted. Yep. He buys haunted items online. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're you're begging curses 
to be inside well, your home. Neil, you know, he, he wants to hang out with the ghosts pretty bad. He does. Yes, he does. <laughs> he has some books written right now. You can check them out uh, or you can buy them online. Neil Parks, look for him. He's local and it's all the local haunts around here. Chillicothe, you name it. He has been there and he's written about it. Available to order now. My first audio book, Neil Parks presents truly terrifying tales narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available. And last spring, my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Keep your eyes on the sky. Be good to those around you. Have a great rest of the week and a terrific weekend. I'll be back next week with more of the strange and unusual. And thank you for listening this long to this episode of Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host, Neil Parks. Godspeed.